You are listening to Grit and Grace, where I'm sharing my entrepreneurial journey with you and bringing stories to you of the most amazing women that are crushing it in business and in life. My name is Tomberly, and I'm a social impact entrepreneur, where I help businesses grow their community impact and their bottom line through their partnerships with nonprofit organizations. I'm also the founder of Tomberly's Tribe, a brand new group of female experts that from all different fields are helping women grow to their highest level of potential. Join us on this journey by downloading the Himalaya app, which is free, and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all of the new shows that are coming out. Welcome to my show. My friends, are you ready to laugh? And do you know how to build laughter into everyday things? Because today we are going to fix that. My guest is a speaker and a popular MC. She's a benefit auctioneer and a humor coach who, when she speaks, has a magnetic presence that draws in audiences and makes a room come alive. She uses humor as a way to talk about things that really we need to be talking more about which is a transformative experience in getting people out of their comfort zones and into the discussion zones. So Debbie Shear, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I have to laugh because before we started recording the show, we just started talking and I think we just lost like 15 minutes of time. We did. And we had to stop because I'm like, we just, we got to re- hit the record button. We did. We did. <laughs> yes. I love when that happens. I know. And I actually always love connecting with you. I've heard you speak. I've seen you. I haven't seen you in an auction role, but I've heard you speak, which is amazing. Um, I've seen the humor that you bring, have brought forward. And you know what? I've been around you enough to feel your presence. And I'm super excited for my audience to learn how you got through this part of the journey of your life to get to do what you're doing now. Right. Yeah. Because isn't that the important part is how did you get here? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't talk about that often enough. Correct. We see the polished pretty picture at the end. Yes. And you know how I feel about social media. It's all about the polished, oh, and I'm, pretty and I'm just going to warn everybody on the show that she's like 40 days in. No, no, she's not 40 days. She's like 27 days 27. In, into a, a, a sugar cleanse. detox cleanse. Yes. So she hasn't had sugar in almost a month. So just yes. beware, people. <laughs> I need tackle. some grace and, <laughs> and some dark chocolate <laughs> smuggled in immediately. You are in the right place for that. And um, just because I'm torturous like this, I want you to know that when I come here in the mornings and set up, they have a full kitchen downstairs because we're at workability. For those of you that haven't listened to the show and know that we spend time on this podcast and workability, which is workability.works in Denver, their kitchen downstairs, they have homemade Belgian waffles. So I had not one, but two. Look, she's, she's, I, there's well, I a reason just, why I put a table between us. I just don't know why you need to be so hurtful so early, <laughs> so early in this conversation. We because I'm poking the bear. 90 seconds. <laughs> 90 seconds in. I just rubbed waffles in your face. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm kind of like that. I may be known a little bit as a pot stirrer. I don't, I don't know. That's maybe. It's not surprising <laughs> to me for some strange reason. <laughs> I remember. I don't even remember which event it was when we were when you were on stage and you talked about being an Enneagram eight. Yes. And the first thing you said is how many other people in the audience are an eight? And my hand was like ready to shoot through the roof. And you looked out and you're like, Of course you are, Tauverly. Yes. <laughs> all the women who raised their hand, there weren't many, but they none of them were a shock to me. You were certainly the least shocking to me. That's so funny. And so those of you that haven't done your Enneagram, you should do your you should amazing. You should do the test. It's a personality test and there's several of them out there. In fact, Lisa Foster yes. does a really good job with the Enneagram and she actually does more than one. Um, she brings together a bunch of different personality tests and gives you a, an overview. I'll pop Lisa's. Yes. I've worked with here. her. Oh, she's yeah. helped okay. me a lot and she is brilliant on that front and just a super wonderful person to work yeah, with. Yeah, she's been on this podcast. It was quite some time ago. Uh, it's funny enough because, you know what, Debbie, next week, so we are, what are we, January 27th? 27th. So next week, I will be releasing my 100th podcast. This is cause for celebration. I know. And I don't know what show I'm going to release at. It might be just me. It might just be a solo show. I don't know. Might if you want someone to interview you, <gasps> let really? me know. Okay, we should I've do done that. that before with the Pump and Dump crew. I love to interview people who are usually and most comfortably um, have their tushy in the interviewee's interviewer seat. It so is very true. You that would be fun. Let me know. Okay, I will let you know, and I will include Lisa's um, link to her website. Um, or I might find try to find her podcast, but regardless, she puts together all these different facets of, of it. And an Enneagram 8 is a very specific personality. 
And I probably couldn't summarize it well, but how would you summarize an eight? Well, the Enneagram eight, from my understanding, is the most, the female Enneagram eight is the most misunderstood Enneagram number of all the nine numbers. I know. We're known as the challenger. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So misunderstood and how, like, because we can be kind of known as like bulls in China shops. Right. We have big personalities, typically speaking. And sometimes we don't always understand why other people don't get things the way that we get Mm -hmm. things. I don't know. There's a lot. That's an entirely different conversation. Yeah, see, maybe I'm going to stop stop liking Enneagram if I think about it as people are viewing it as our, our bigness. Eights are big. That's just it. Personality-wise, big personalities. We we can be. I mean, we're the challenger, so we're not afraid of that. And But the thing I love about the Enneagram is it gives such great insight into your motivations behind behaviors. And that's how I try to use it, and that's how where I think the true growth comes from. Right. And also, for me, the Enneagram has helped me so much understanding others. Totally. Because when I spent some time with someone who was a two through Lisa's community, and we spent a lot of time like learning and sharing about each other, and there were things that they told me I was shock that they felt. Like just different facets at what we're comfortable with and what we're not comfortable with. And even our communication style. Right. And I'm like, wow, especially when it came to like confrontation, that part surprised me because I'm like, what do you mean? You don't, you want to, what do you mean? And, and then there was something else that came up that was really interesting. Someone said that they were uncomfortable always making decisions. Like they, they struggled, like they had anxiety over a decision. I'm like, Really? What like what's and that like? What's like, that I, like? I got and they're like, What you've never felt that way? I'm like, not really. I know. And when I see people, I'm like, what's it like to not be in touch with your anger? Yeah. <laughs> what, what does that what does that feel like to not be okay with conflict? Oh or a difficult conversation. But anyway, so, but that's, that's the that's important a, thing yeah. for me too, is I learned about other people. Right. And absolutely. I like to say that it, it took me forty years to figure out that not everybody lived in the, their head the way that I did. They Absolutely. See things. I mean, when I say see things, I'm, of course, meaning something a little different. But not everybody processes things like I do. So the things that I just didn't understand in the world, I started to understand that people just – their their whole interpretation process and and their self-talk process was different. And it, it took me 40 years before I figured that out. And That's, it wasn't the same as my head as everybody else's. Well, and it's important for eights especially because then we can move through the world with a little more compassion. A little more grace. And understanding and, yeah, openness. Empathy, right? yes. Okay, those are all. Look how we're soft-talking for no. those words. We're so not we're used like to saying these words. <laughs> Let's talk softly when we use those words. When we're not being judgy. And we're all of those things, right? We have every number as a part of us. And so, yeah, yeah, I love it. it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so this was meant to talk about you, really. Mm -hmm. But see, this is what happens. We just could talk for hours. So tell me where you started. Like, how did your career get to where it is today? So take, take us back to where you're from. Where I'm from? Yeah. Oh, I love. We're going way back. We're in gonna. The vault. I mean, we got to know the real Debbie. Oh goodness. Well, I'm from New York. I was born in New York, okay. and then we moved to Arizona in '79, which was talk about a shock. That is a big shock. geography culture. Oh, I've ne- I had never seen a cactus before that time, oh, except for on TV. That's no joke. And so I moved here to Denver in 1997. Yeah, so it'll be what is that? Twenty three years this summer. Oh, okay. it's amazing. So you moved here as a, like as an adult. As an adult, yeah. I'm not trying to give your age away. It's okay. I'm, I'm fifty two. Okay, I'm totally <laughs> okay. I was really trying quickly no. to do math and say, okay, is this going to be offensive? Not offensive? No, no way. never. You know me better than that. Fifty two, and yeah, I would have moved here earlier, but I just couldn't create a life on my own at the age of twelve. So yeah. I had to stay. <laughs> Under the guidance of my parents until I could figure it out. For a little longer. Just a little bit. darn parents not letting you do what you want at 12 years old. Exactly. Yeah. So So you ended up in Colorado. Yes. And it's a pretty darn good place to live. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love Colorado. Mm -hmm. I love so much about it. And there's something funny that you say, which is that you'll be the one heard on the trails yelling at your kids when they're not cooperating That's or interested. That's absolutely 100%. And we live too. in the most beautiful state in the nation. Like, how can you not want to be outside? That is exactly word for word what I yell along the Colorado Trail as they sit on rocks and sulk and go through all the snacks within the first 65 seconds. <laughs> I actually do that, too. 
I mean, there's no judgment in that, but when then they're done. That's a distraction. They're, they're like, using it as a distraction. When you're a parent, that's your carrot to get them a little farther along the trail, and now it's gone after, oh you know, my. the first minute. Oh so, and... It's it's just the way it is. I am I am I was lucky enough to grow up with parents who we went cross country every summer in a motor home and I was able to see so much of the country and I know how lucky we are to live here and there is so much beauty in our own backyard. And so I am the broken record. And now I just would like to apologize for their future partners because they will hate the outdoors. <laughs> I love so I'm it. Terribly sorry. I love it. I love actually that's one thing we have in common. So my grandmother every summer took me or my sister and I on a trip in her camper. I love that. So we drove across the US and I mean I got to see so many different places and I I always liked it. And I mean it wasn't my mom, so that was part of it, right? But it was also just being out and seeing new places. Absolutely. That sparked my curiosity for traveling the world, actually. I've been in all kinds of places. But learning where you come from and seeing it compared to other places and being able to come back home and say, holy crap. Right. Right. This is this is where I'm – and I spent 14 years in Toronto and came back. And Toronto's a darn good city. It is a great city. But it's not Colorado. No. No, it's yeah. not. Yeah, but your kids may get their way back to it one day. I hope so. I mean, mine are nineteen and twenty-one, and I mean, on a, if they were maybe to take somebody on a date, they would like go to the mountains oh. because that's like that's how they like connect to nature. Yeah, Either I love that, that or they want to be private and do things they don't want their mom to know about. Right. It could be that. Too. I'll find my kids on that trail. I just need you to know that right now. <laughs> they they already know that I. <laughs> I'm gonna put you on on tra- in track of my daughter then when she says, "Oh, I'm gonna go hiking with my friends." Last time she did that, they went to that cliff diving spot. In oh no! Oh, oh yeah, and and so four girls in bikinis were jumping off cliffs into the into the lake. Anyway, that makes me nervous. I know how we how do we go down that rabbit, rabbit hole? Colorado, beautiful state. It is. So how old are your kids? They are twelve and a half and nine. Okay, two boys. Yeah, yeah. So One just started middle school. Wowzer! He's in puberty. I'm in perimenopause. It is absolutely the most fun. In our house. You have no idea. And you took sugar out of the picture? And I took sugar because I mean, I was already in such a state of <laughs> chaos. No, I wasn't. But I thought, well, let's just see how many little straws we can add to that camel's back. But it's been, I have to say, it's been great. Yeah, well, I mean, part of I think that you're balancing your hormones. Actually, taking yeah. sugar out is causing your hormones to do its own like balancing act. So I that part I actually I do think it will stay. Now you're doing it for a certain period of time. Right. Are, is it going to stick? I hope so. And I and I feel like the way I've been feeling, not the first few days. That was pretty much um, a tragic situation for anyone I came in contact with. But now I feel good. I feel really good. And I know when I stopped drinking alcohol, I craved so much sugar. I'm one of the few people I know that gained 15 pounds when I quit drinking. Every single person I know lost a ton of weight, but I was trying to compensate and I was doing it by eating a ridiculous amount of sugar. Now, can we talk about that? Of course. Uh, So what, why did you stop drinking alcohol? I stopped drinking. Well, so, you know, I, I don't know if I think I've been open with you. I have anxiety and depression and I don't have a really fabulous story, you know, as this, I knew I need to quit. I wish I did. Like if I could come up with, you know me, I kind of am prone to dramatics. Yeah. If I could come up with a really wildly entertaining story, I wish that's I mean, my I, life. You might be able to take mine. You could take mine. Okay, that will be part two of and this for, podcast. Right. So yeah, put a for spin those of you it. that are listening, let's just let's just say that there is a story that has happened that we've discussed that I have not discussed on this podcast yet. It but might if come. I interview you, I'm just oh, gonna let you could. know right now that's coming oh. out full force. So just put that in your back pocket. And I went out with a friend. We were in Florida at a business conference, and I had my usual amount of drink. You know, it wasn't anything over the top. And I just woke up the next morning and said, "I'm so tired of feeling this way when I wake up." I'm so tired of my sleep being as crappy as it was. And I thought, I'm just going to try this for 30 days. Let's just see what happens. And I went 30 days. And within the first week, my sleep really changed. And that was the first thing I noticed. Uh And then I noticed the what we don't talk enough about is how I didn't now have this thing to mask my anxiety and depression, which is really hard because I had to face it full It's basically like being totally naked in front of your anxiety and depression. But I just started to feel so much better. 
And I thought, I can't go back to the way I was. And through the process of quitting drinking, I realized how addictive my personality really has been. Interesting. <clears throat> so, mm. yeah. Do you have a history of um, alcoholism or addiction in your family or any type of... We know I'm adopted, and so I don't know. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if that's there. But right. I had been addicted to sleep medications mm. for two years. Mm. That's super fun to come off of. If you've never done that, you probably shouldn't quit cold turkey, which is what I did. That's not oh to be recommended. Yeah, okay. But I never was able to say, I'm kind of an addict until all of these little puzzle pieces were just so obvious. And I thought, oh, wow, there it is. And you know what I love about you, Debbie, is is you are willing to talk about this, be vulnerable about it, and make jokes about it because that's – and that's – when I introduced you, that's part of what we're talking about is you bring humor to the everyday things that happen and the hard things. Right. And I just want to give a little caveat to everybody that's listening as a reminder that we were, we're recording at Workability, which means there's people here. Yeah. So you're going to hear some noise in the background. Just know that everything's fine. We're not like there's no cars crashing around us. We're just in a space where there's other people. Just wanted to put that in there because I forgot to mention it. Um, okay. So back to your story. So when you, at what point did you start shifting your career into a more public facing role? Right. So I'll give you the very quick, quick version because my ex-wife and I were married. We'd been together 11 years. Mm-hmm. And one night out of the blue, she said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not in love with you. I, I'm moving out. I don't want to go to therapy. So my world in that moment came crashing down on me. And I was really terrified. I had left my job. I was VP of education and training at a nonprofit that I loved, working with people I adored, doing work that really spoke to my heart and soul. And we had collectively decided I would become a stay-at-home mom. We had adopted my first child, and then we were looking to adopt a second child. And so when she dropped that, which felt like a bomb, it was terrifying. And I through, you know, you can only like be in the fetal position and rock back and forth for so long Mm -hmm. before your friends go, okay, Mm -hmm. sweet pea, Mm -hmm. you have two kids, you need to figure it out. So you had adopted the second child? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I decided to try something really scary to take my mind off the first scary thing. And I decided to try stand-up comedy. And now, I, why stand up comedy? I know, right? I mean, what did, the was heck? it something that you thought of before, or did were you always just funny? Because you're what? just a funny, you're just a funny lady. Well, I had grown up with Carol Burnett, and my parents we watched Laughing, and I love Lucy, and and I grew up with the best SNL out there with Gilda Radner and Chevy Chevy oh, Chase. You know the, yes. the, the ones that I are dear to my heart. And I always they're called classics now. Okay, well I'm a cla- <laughs> I'm 52. I'm a classic. I now. love them too. Don't worry. And so I had always written comedy and sketches and had ideas, but never did anything with it. And I'm also terrified of heights. And I thought, well, jumping out of a plane would technically be the scariest thing, but I can't afford to die right now. Mm -hmm. So that was off the table. Mm -hmm. So comedy seemed to me in that moment, the second scariest thing. Yeah. So so I did did it. it. And so you took a class. I didn't. I have a friend who owns a queer bar, um, Blush and Blue, which is right next to Voodoo Donuts. And every week they had you know, a showcase, an open mic slash showcase. And I contacted the person running it and they were willing to give me a few minutes. So like, how did you develop the material? Like, well, wait, did you just make fun of all the stuff in your life? Well, what's much? funny about that is, and I just would like to personally apologize to anyone who was at that first <laughs> show, which is, um, will be six and a half years <laughs> now. I, the, the thing that I really was drawing from was my breakup comedy, right? I was taking the most absolute devastating thing in my life and I was trying to find humor in it to keep going and so there was a lot of really bad breakup comedy but I did it and I survived and that was the catalyst for me going oh I'm gonna be okay and from there I kept doing comedy and then I started to look around my community and see what I felt was missing and decided to create some comedy education shows that were geared towards women geared towards people in the GLBTQ community and then it just it just grew. It grew into emceeing, and it grew into people saying, hey, would you come chat with us about this topic but make it funny? And I thought, well, I don't know if you want it funny, but what I'm hearing you saying is you want an access point to have a difficult conversation. And I believe the access point is humor. So yes, yes, I will. Mm. 
And then in 2016, I went to auctioneering school because I love stage work, I love nonprofits, and I wanted to combine my MC work, my humor work, and do that. Mm. So. Which is wonderful. I, because my background is also a nonprofit, I, I, yeah. I do believe that the auctioneer's role in events is so important. Like, it's so important. It makes or breaks a nonprofit's ability to raise funds at an event if they're going to have an auction. So I think that's awesome. And I love, and I love, love, love that you just did this. You just went out and did it. Now, did you have any fear of public speaking at the time? Or was that not really ever a thing for you? I, I didn't have a fear of public speaking. However, I, like most people, had a massive fear of rejection and publicly dying on a stage in front of an audience of complete strangers. I told nobody that I was doing this. But somehow about three people found out who were near and dear and they showed up and I thought, well, they'll be the three people that can tell the rest of the world that I've died. I had a heart attack right here. So that's fine. And but did you actually script jokes that time? I did. You did. I worked <gasps> and had a, you know, three to five minute set. I can't remember how much time I had. And which anyone who does any public speaking Two minutes is an eternity when you're oh, terrified. Trust me, like the first, you know. the first, the more that we talk about podcasting, the first few months of doing this show, especially the ones I did by myself, right? Um, I I think I would lose like five pounds a show for just from sweat alone, yeah. and and it was just me and a microphone, right? But it was also because I knew what the other end was, what what was going to happen on the other side when it was released. Right. So yeah, I I get that you do have such a fear and. And now with cell phones, too, people can take pictures and video of what you're doing, and then it's it's there forever. It's there forever. And if you're – for my personality, I wanted to make sure people were having a good experience, yeah. You right? cared. Yeah. I care. And I always – I talk to people all over who – when I ask them, are you nervous before getting on stage? And I get very worried when people say, nope, not at all. Because to me, I get nervous every time, a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the nerves come from, I really want people to have a powerful, meaningful experience. And I also know I'm not, I have no control over that. But I think when you care about that, you take that on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had somebody tell me once when I did my first presentation, which was in front of a lot of people several years ago. And I was, I was really super nervous and it probably wasn't one of my best presentations, um, only because the style in which I had been trained to develop, um, that particular, that was in a, it was in a trade industry, but how to develop the topic for that was not how I would at all, how I would do it now. And it was too scripted, which is what can, to, to me created more of the issue is that I was going to forget something and go off script, which right. is way better now, way right, better. Right. But one person said to me something that still matters, still stands with me today, and it's that when you're nervous, it's because it matters, because you care. And the day that you stop caring, it just it, it the day that you stop being nervous is the day that it stops mattering to you the result. And I I don't ever want to do that. So good point. Let's keep you both each other in check. Yes. If you ever tell me you're not nervous about something, I'm not going to let you do it. Yes. Anymore. That would vice be great. versa. Yeah, absolutely. You can just say that's oh, no, a fair deal. That's, that's a no go. You're not doing that because yes. you don't care. Clearly, you've lost your mind because right. you don't care. Right. <laughs> I love that. I'm okay with that. You have my permission. This is what okay, I'm saying. And vice versa. We're all about consent. Okay, you right, have my consent. Right, right. Right. I know. My friends tell me consent is sexy. And I'm like, wow, sometimes not. Anyway, so it's just, that's another It's podcast hole. two. That's podcast that's, three. Right. We're on, we have like four lined up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how, how do you find the experience is, let's say on the corporate side, when you're speaking on a difficult topic, like... Is it typically a topic that needs to be addressed like an HR type issue or a change management type issue? No, I don't really talk about that. What people have called, you know, I talk about things like transracial adoption. I talk about things like mental health. Let's bring storytelling and open this conversation. Um, I just did a talk for a networking group of professional women on embracing the unfolding, which, you know, there's this phrase everybody says, and it's, you know, live your best self, which I got to be honest with you, has been memed to death. Mm -hmm. I know what it means, but I feel like it sets us up to believe there's a destination, right? You know, here I am, my best self, now what? And so I was using humor. I believe humor is basically the lube that eases that chafing of growth. So that's what we were oh talking gosh, about, can right? We, can you just say that again? Yes. You believe that humor is the lube, lube. that eases the chafing of growth. Okay. That's going to be the title of the show. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's called Embrace the Unfolding, and then that's the yeah, tagline. Good. And so things like that, talking about white privilege, you know, mm. what does that look like for white people specifically? That's the only lens I can talk to as being a white woman 
who's raising black boys, but that's my only lens, mm-hmm. right? That's all. That's all I claim to be able to talk about. So it's usually things like that. Mm. So that is what you mean by you're talking about important topics in ways of humor. And so how how has your experience been having these conversations about being a white woman raising black boys? Yeah. It's been oh goodness. It's interesting. You know, there's this there's this initial buy-in from white liberal women and then and not all women. I want to be clear about that. But then when people realize, "Oh, this is deep, dark, historical work that we need to do, and it's going to be painful, then there's usually a separation mm-hmm. and, a, and a shutting down or a defensiveness. And I get it because I am that person, right? Like I I'm, I'm, can only talk about it because I am that. And so I, I see how that is for people. I see those struggles. But we have no choice. That's how I feel. And I feel very yeah. emotionally attached because my son is 12 and a half. He looks like he's 16. And I'm terrified of him walking home or anywhere with his hood up. Yeah. That's not okay. Right. Right. He should not be living in a world like that. I have, I have come across in the last year alone a lot of topics around this conversation. And I haven't really addressed it a lot on this podcast, but I will say that the one thing that I know to be 100% true is that I don't know. I, I mean, Absolutely. I, I don't know. And I have asked in a couple of different situations, um, how can I know more? Like, how can I understand how you live, right? If you're an African-American woman that has faced challenges or your family has or your kids have, how do, you, how do I know? How, how can you enlighten me on what I don't know? Right. Because I know that I don't know. I, I feel like that's the starting place, just acknowledging that you don't right. know. And I've had some different answers to that question. I, I actually had one woman get really mad yes. and, and say, um, that's the whole problem. And, right. And I said, I, I get that, but how do we solve the problem if, you can't, if I don't? How do I, how do I find the answers? Like, tell me what I, how can I go study research? Like, what can I participate in to learn what my privilege is that I am not aware of? Like, right. And so I, I found, and, and one, only one person, and there was actually a bunch of people at the table when this happened. And afterwards, it was a shift amongst everybody that was there. And they said, Oh, okay. Now we see the problem because here's one a white woman saying, I know I have a privilege and I don't fully understand what that is for other people. So help me learn. And one person saying, no, you should already freaking know. So too bad. I'm not going to tell you. And then all of a sudden everybody at the table realized, how can we talk about this together? So right. like, like, how can we just like take all of what we should or shouldn't know off the table so we can educate each other as women? Right. This was just women. Right. And I feel strongly that as white women, we have asked women of color to do so much work around this. Yeah. And that's not cool. Yeah. And so I have really tried to call upon white, specifically white liberal women to do the work. And when someone says you should know, they're right. We should know. We created the systems that are systemically racist. We benefit from the systems every single day. I'm a white woman who is a mama bear to my child, and I know that every day I go out there and I benefit from systems that were developed to harm my child. Mm. That's bizarre. Yeah. But so I really try to let women of color take the lead because I have friends who are willing to talk about that, and I'm Mm. very grateful for that. Mm. But I have learned the hard way as well. I don't ask anymore because I really feel like it's our responsibility. There's enough research out there and right. literature. It's like us putting more work on the on the, 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 the people who are the victims of the problem. So I totally see what you're saying. And since then, I've been able to really tap into a group where we right. can have discussions and Absolutely. we can ask That's questions great. in candid ways. Right. They're not going to offend anybody. And, and yes, and research. I mean, there's lots of classes in Denver. There's tons and tons of books. Actually, there's some really good podcasts on the topic. Right. Um, and of course, talk to you. Well, and the thing is... Um, uh, sadly, our world has become, and I was just talking to a friend about this. We were talking about social media. There's so much shame. There's so much aggression. There's so much really verbal violence, for lack of a better word, when people make a mistake. And if you make one misstep, there are 5,000 people who will just slaughter you. And so who's going to be willing to be vulnerable and show up? If they're fearful of that. Now, I'm not saying we're not 
we shouldn't be taken to task because we should be. But I feel like having people come in person, develop connections, and have these really honest, vulnerable, scary conversations and try to create a space I don't want to say safe space because I don't know what's safe to you. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's safe right, to me. Right. But a space that we can just have these really desperately needed conversations mm. that lead to actual action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a big topic. This is a big issue. I I'm really glad that we. And there's nothing up. funny in that. that and we there's just nothing about. funny in that. And there's nothing funny that I want to take from that. Actually, right. that's the other thing is because it's too raw for too many people. I was listening to a. Um, Amy, is it Amy Poehler? Oh. Yeah, she's so funny, and she makes me laugh so much. And somebody asked her, is there anything that you think is off limits when you create humor? And she said, yes, anything that my humor that would hurt somebody's feelings is off limits. She's like, so my body, my life, my mistakes – it doesn't offend me, so it's it's not off limits. Right. Anything that I would say that would offend somebody else or hurt their feelings is off limits. Right. Because there's ways, and she explained it, is there are ways to make jokes about something right. without it being offensive. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought that that was very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. And she talked a lot about the fact that she hadn't pooped in like seven days. And I'm like, this is like, there's that like, seems like 55,000 people are listening to this. And well, I'm like, and wow, I'm suddenly okay. concerned for her. That seems problematic. I mean, I am a she showed regular. what happened to her belly. Oh, see, she showed. it was like a this, problem. She says, this is what it looks like when you don't. Yeah. Poop. Well, and thank you like for the, she was like for, yeah, walking you know. medical. She explained it would be improper to take wow. a smooth move like before the show, just in case. So she took one for the team. Oh gosh. Okay. I like it. All right, Amy. <laughs> yes, she's well, because, you know, she's been going through in vitro fertilization. So she oh. she actually, she will really openly share her story, um, sort of like you, actually, in a really humorous way to talk about things that are really hard, like women's issues. Right. Like, these are women's issues, fertility issues. Like, right. And anyway, I think it's humor is, humor is good. Although I do think that sometimes humor can also be a mask. Absolutely. For seriousness. Oh. And I, when I knew you were, we were going to talk today, I was thinking about this because there is somebody that I know that uses humor as deflection. Oh. And it's a man. And I, I have, I have called him on it. Like you're, you're making a joke when I actually think this is something where we should go deep. Yes. And he'll make a joke about that. Yes. And he'll make a do- joke about going deep and I'll be like, oh. Well, and you know, that's oh. interesting. I got called out by my therapist. When I was going through divorce, I got my little tushy into therapy as soon as I could. Because I, smart lady. I, when I was feeling so wildly out of control, I didn't know what to do. And for an eight, talk about a scary feeling, yes. feeling out of control. And so I was sitting in front of my therapist and they asked me a question and I did just that. And they paused and looked at me and said, I see what you're doing, but more importantly, do you see what you're doing? And I thought, well, I'm about to write down a really good one-liner, so no. <laughs> and they said, you are using humor to deflect and avoid looking at this. And they were really one of the first people to enlighten me on how that's not a healthy way to use humor. Mm. And so I try to be mindful of that. I try to yeah. use it in a way that we can connect an audience and create a space where people feel okay to be vulnerable to share. Well, and it's totally different when you're speaking and you're, you know, you're you're in front of a crowd and you're I mean that's totally different than on a one-on-one. Although cuz you're just funny, you're you actually were born funny. Well, thank you. I mean, not I mean I didn't say funny looking. I appreciate that too. I mean, funny. You were born funny. So you I'm sure naturally in conversations you are are just funny. But it's different doing it in front of a crowd. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And if we're here to grow and become better whatever versions of ourselves, then you can't constantly sit in the space of using humor to deflect from your crap. I mean, you could. You can. People, a lot of people do it, right? Can. Your friend does it. Yeah. And they weren't really quite ready to go deep. So so many things I could say there. I know. I'm not. I know. For this I really this wish you would right now. I'm closing my eyes to channel the energy to you to pull a Michael Scott move from the office, but you're not going to do it. I can't do it. Okay. I mean, how red is my face right now? Just I mean, it just looks like you've come back from a nice Hawaiian vacation. Nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> Just leave it at oh that. Oh, my goodness gracious. See, I get shy. I know that's hard for you to believe. I think I told you this before that I get shy, and you're like, what? No I way. do believe that. I get shy. I yeah. do believe that. I'm also more of an introverted person, I'm, really? which people don't believe because my job 
puts me in such an extroverted state of being that when I'm done, I go home. You know, my doorbell hasn't worked in 10 years and I have no intention of fixing it. And I get in trouble all the time. And I go in my backyard and I turn on the fire and I just sit with nobody. I turn my phone off. I don't engage. I need that quiet and that just alone. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Is that is that your typical self-care practice? When I come back from a big auction, a big event, mm-hmm. it most definitely is because there's so much that goes into planning an event with a nonprofit. I just don't show up the night of, right? Yeah, it's of multiple yeah. meetings. It's how can I help you craft your timeline? How can we mm-hmm. talk about it? all of it? Yeah. And when you're on that stage, even if you're only on, and you know this, if you're on stage, even if it's just 30 minutes, you feel like you've run a marathon. Mm-hmm. And let's be clear, I don't run. <laughs> I do not run. Yeah. I have, I have some good friends who run. I don't run. And so when I come home, I'm so exhausted from all the ang- – emotionally, physically. I feel like I've left it all there. I've done everything I can to create the most, you know, positive experience for fundraising that that's exactly how I decompress. I don't talk to people. Yeah, I My children to, know this I quite well. To, I try to express to people what it's like when you give that type of energetic output. And I heard a speaker at one of the NSA events explain it like, you know, it's 24 hours of prep just before energetically to get in the place to do 30 to 60 minutes on a stage. It's energetically 24 hours of prep. It could be weeks or months leading up to getting to there of the work to create the message you're going to only deliver in 30 to 60 minutes. Yes. It takes months to deliver that. It's 24 hours before to get energetically aligned. It's at least 24 to 48 hours after to realign your energy. Right. And he he said he has 20 minutes after he walks off stage where he is still on yes. that he can communicate and interact and then he'll crash. Yes. Oh, and, interesting. And, and 24 hours of nothing is what he requires oh, wow. after. And that's 30 to 60 minutes on stage. And I think, okay, now I understand why when I do shows like this where you and I are here, we're right. chatting – if I do this for an elongated period of time, it is, it's extremely taxing yes, and it's hard yes. to explain to people the energetic output part of public speaking or especially for you because you are, you're pulling the audience into a space of humor with seriousness in it. Right. So I feel like that's an extra component as opposed to just like teaching or educating right. or lecturing, let's say. Um, that energetic recovery is, it's a, an experience. That's a great way to say it, energetic recovery. Mm-hmm. I've not heard of it like that. Energetic That's recovery. Great. I went to Las Vegas last year to launch the Girl Talk podcast mm-hmm. uh, with Courtney Olson, and I have, was going to do 30 interviews in two and a half days. So I intuitively knew, actually, this is so funny. I was so concerned about the women that I was going to be interviewing that what it was going to be like for them to step out of a conference with 500 people and tell me their life story mm-hmm. and then go back. Right. I'm like that. I, they need transition. So right. I brought a crew of women that would, of spiritual healers that would help them transition back. Oh, into that's the space. awesome. I didn't feel, I didn't, I didn't do it intentionally of what it was going to be like for me. Oh, see. Right. To hold that space. And, and wonderfully enough, I had all these women that like just literally helped me get through this two and a half days. I had no idea what it was going to be like at the end of that period of time. I mean, I'm on the airplane. I'm crying. And it's not for anything other than just tired. And I'm holding the emotions of the stories of the women. And I just I just cried and cried. Yes. <laughs> and then I got, I'm pretty sure I cried for like two days. Just I, It's like I was just releasing all of the tiredness, um, you know, through fluids in my body. And then I felt good. But then I realized I can't ever do that again. It was right. too much. And crying, that's a great way. Yeah. That's a great way and to I, decompress. I laughed, and I laughed too. And I did all, I ate all the sugar. Okay. Here we go again. <laughs> Can I tell you that there's a thing at, um, in Las Vegas called crumpets? <laughs> it's a cross between a croissant and a donut. <laughs> Sometimes I see your eightness come out in just all sorts of hurtful ways. <laughs> and now my face is red again. So I'm like, wow, that's so mean. I will give you, when you're out of the detox, jail, yes. when you're out of jail, out of I, jail. Will, I will send you a crumpet. Okay. You will like that. Because someone just sent me a jar of white linen marinara sauce. Okay, so tell I mean, that Nora, story. Nora, Nora Bernstein. Nora Bernstein. Yes. So tell me about that. Like, so, you know, so I funny. love Costco. Really, there are days where I'm not sure, but it could be that I love them more than my children. And my family, a lot of people don't know this, we've been members of Costco since 1979. 1979. It used to be called Price Club, okay? And we've been members. So we have a lot of emotional investment and financial in Costco. And I there is a spaghetti sauce called White Linen. Victoria's white linen. And I met a guy years ago who 
told me how Italian he was. He was very, very Italian. And he told me he used to make his spaghetti sauce from scratch until he found this. So, of course, I tried it, fell in love with it. My mom did as well. My mom is even more of a ridiculous marketing person than I am as far as, you know, you have to try this. And I have no less than 10 to 11 jars in my basement. And so I made that joke on Facebook about the gym and the earbuds. I don't know if you saw the video. And the only thing that you should talk to me about is if you have a case of white linen in your car and you're selling it at discount. And Nora Burns sent (laughs) me a jar. Oh, my God. I know. That was so funny. And I went and opened this box. I didn't even know what it was. I was so excited to get a gift that I knew I didn't order off of. Which And you didn't know arrived because you don't have a doorbell. So it just appeared. Well, she basically had to say, have you checked your front porch? Yes. (laughs) Because <laughs> the fireplace was going in the backyard, and I'm not going to talk to anybody today. Um, you know, the earbud comment was funny. Like you say that this is a sign to not talk to me if I'm at the gym. No, you know, see that doesn't it doesn't work for me ever. Really? I ever. I mean, I'm People a power approach. lifter. People approach. And you know what? If I really put on my RBF, and you know, because the way that my tattoos fall, the way that I dress, I mean, if I have an RBF, people will leave me alone. But I just don't, because I actually don't. I'm more like light and sunny and oh, smiley. Yeah. I just, I'm not, I have to work to be right. a little more non approachable. Yeah. Then people will leave me be. But I have an approachable attitude. Um, and so even with my earphones on, people will talk to me. So, yeah. It's a funny thing. I don't know why people do that. I would. Unless there's an emergency, if I see someone with earphones in, I'll leave them alone. But that's just me. What, but if, I'm more what of a, if we develop a, an ear, like, do you wear the cover type? Like the, no, really, maybe I they should. Sh- they, maybe they should say, like, F off. I would love that. In fact, I might buy those and then put on it's the like earphones stickers. stop signs. Oh, <gasps> yeah. That, yeah, but people might see it from the side. It's almost like you need to put it on your forehead. But see, this is the problem. Then people go, why are you single? Oh, I don't know. I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> Nobody will approach me because I'm terrified. Oh <laughs> you tell the funniest stories about what it's like to be single and meeting people. And you're not a good flirter. I know I'm, I'm so, terrible. You know I, this about me. I, I know. And see, the funny thing is, is that when you and I sit down and chat and hang out, you are a perfect conversationalist. So I don't know what happens between that and when you meet somebody that could potentially be a date that you just like you just you totally lose it. I do. This is going to go in a very different direction. It's and okay, I'm so open about that, how bad I am at flirting. So how do you know it's a flirting like, why don't you just look at every interaction as a friendship? Take the pressure off of it being a flirt. Right. Sounds good in practice. I would not even know how to do it. I mean, I, I, I told you about the woman in Whole Foods. Oh, and she, I story. think she was flirting with me, and she was. Tra- we were talking about samples, and all I could say was, where did you get that sample? And I took off running <laughs> to go f- eat. And I think she could have been my You're so next big. wife. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? How many wives you should have, but she could have been the next one. Oh my! I know. I'm just—I've never been good. Do you know in the moment that that's happening? No, but I certainly know at 3 a.m. when I wake up and go, "Oh my (laughs) gosh, Debbie, not again! What?" I mean, you heard about Bumble. I was on Bumble for three weeks. No, I just an online dating Uh app. I know. I'm actually familiar with Bumble. I know which way you swipe. Okay, well, here's the problem with me. I was swiping to show interest. Which is to the left. Okay. No, to the right is where you're supposed to swipe. Nobody told me that. I guess it was in the fine print. But I'm swiping and nobody's expressing any, like, reciprocated interest. And I thought, okay, I know I'm not. You know, I'm not the top of the food chain here, but I'm also not like a bottom feeder. So what's happening here? And then a friend was looking over my shoulder and she said, are you kidding me? You have been swiping the wrong way. Basically, I've been throwing my interests oh into my the trash. Gosh, what is going on? So I got off Bumble. Well, but that's, I don't think that's fair a fair thing. I don't think that's a fair thing. Maybe you should let like one of your friends go on Bumble for you. That's... You know what? I need to hire a virtual assistant to do yeah. all of this for me yes. and to really do the flirting for me as yes. well. And then, and then I can and take it away from there. Show up and you literally have to just commit yourself to sit there mm-hmm. for 30 minutes. So if you say any awkward, weird things and oh, can't run away, you know you will. <laughs> I mean, but then if you stay for 30 minutes, then maybe that will pass. That's true. And if I really like someone, I have a very nervous giggle that 
doesn't come out often, but it's a telltale sign that I'm I'm I, this ship is sinking. <laughs> I need to be rescued. Oh my god. I gosh. know. I know. It's hard. I I mean, well, and now I'm in the GLBTQ community, so I'm looking for women. So already the pool is smaller. Yeah. And now I've swiped the wrong way on 60% of that pool. <laughs> Okay, but just start from scratch. You'll get to redo it. Okay, use a different email address. Can just build a new profile and like I think you need to reset. Actually, we should call Bumble okay. and ask them to reset all your swipes. Yeah, it's so back to neutral. So back to neutral. I think you need to reset. Okay. Well, I have a good friend who said I think you should do it again and then put that in your profile that you're back to try it again because you were swiping the wrong way for the first three weeks. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, I mean, I mean, I I did a I did a whole podcast about what it was like being single for me. Um, and now, can you imagine what it's like if somebody Google, Google's my name? Yeah, this show shows yeah. up, and I have gone on dates where somebody has not told me that they've Googled me. And I mean, because what are you gonna do? You're gonna meet somebody and say, "Oh, did you Google me?" So you don't, right? So you don't know what they know about you, right? And I don't. I use my first name on dating apps. I do, and so if you just type it's in my name, it's not a common first name. It's not a common first name, so I'm findable, and I can, I will know within the first 15 minutes if somebody has listened to my podcast because so much uh, I talk so much about myself. Yeah, they know things they that know. you have not shared with them. Yes, and it's an awkward feeling. And actually one person, it was a woman um, that I met and we went out for a work thing and she sat down across from me and said, I feel like this is our sixth date because I know everything about you because I've listened to like 30 of your shows. And I'm like, I didn't, I mean, were you flattered? That seems kind of nice that she I listened was, to. I was, a, she, I, I got, I, I got shy. I got, it made me nervous. Yeah. It made me a little shy. And I, I realized that it's the same thing dating. Like if I meet somebody and I realize they've listened to all this stuff, in a way it makes me feel good because if they didn't like it, they wouldn't be going out with me at right. that stage. So there's, there's like a filter yes, thing yes. in there. Um, but I don't like it that they don't tell me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a transparency issue. Yeah. Like tell me, what yeah. am I going to say? I, or I just need to start asking, did you Google me? Did you listen to my podcast? How how silly does that sound? Yeah, and that comes across <laughs> a little. Kind of I don't want to, and I right. actually don't even want to talk about it. So when people ask me what I do, I don't include this part. Okay. Not until a little ways down the road. Because yeah. I feel like it's like, yeah, you know. Well, and people have a perception about a personality mm-hmm. and they think you might be away. It's like me when I, I try not to tell people I do comedy Oh, or that kind of work because I already know, well, not, I don't already know for everybody, but a lot of people have an image in their head of a personality type or who you're going to be like. And some people don't want to date comics because they're because nervous. They think they're they're going to become the material. Yes. <laughs> oh, and I can respect that. But then that's, then you're not dating the right comic. Well, and only that, you know, but I on. mean, come on. I, I think that's funny. There is a really funny guy in Denver, and I will give you his name offline, Okay, that did a really terrible podcast about being single. Really terrible, but funny, but terrible, but addictive, but really just bad because okay. he was kind of douchey. Okay. Um, but he's a, he's a comic in Denver, mm-hmm. and um, I listened to it long enough to hear him tell the stories about the women he was dating, and I... I have to admit, it was really painful for oh, me for the yeah. to, for the women. I'm like, oh man, oh I cannot believe like, and if they didn't know, and one of them didn't know that he did a podcast, and so they didn't know he was talking about her. I was like, really? So that I had to, seems, I, I stopped, and yeah. he actually actually what happened is he got attached in a relationship and stopped stopped doing the podcast. Oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. good sign. That's it's, a good ending it's to kind, that. It's I guess. kind of interesting. Yeah, but isn't it isn't it interesting doing public work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. So, so how do you help other people be funny? Right. How do you help them build humor, Debbie, into what they do? I know. That's interesting. Uh, I have a belief that everybody is funny. They have funny access to their funny side. Mm. They might not always think so. And unfortunately, if you're stacking yourself up against Ellen DeGeneres and Margaret Cho and whomever else you're stacking yourself up against, it becomes difficult to pull out the funny. And so I try to help people, especially people who are giving presentations or who want to up their game in connecting with an audience through humor, appropriate humor. Mm. So I'll work with them on their presentation, on how they can infuse little nuggets of or, or gems of connecting with a crowd in a way that they might not have thought about. And to help boost their confidence in knowing that they too are funny. It's just finding that, again, that access point. And isn't that about confidence too? Yes. Yeah. And not comparing yourself to anyone else. Right. We, we're all, you know, many of us are guilty of that. Yes, especially women. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And so is this a coaching service you have? Yes. And is it done as a group or can it individually, can people Either. get help? Either. Ah. Yes, absolutely. And would you su- be able to support someone through their process of maybe taking it up onto stage oh, if they yes. wanted to? That, see, no. you just, your whole body lit up. That yes, would be yes, ideal. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So where can people find you? Well, you can go to my website. Okay. Yes. And that is debbieshearspeaks.com. Yes. And I will put that link in my Perfect. show notes. And is there any um, social media handles that you want people to follow? Oh, gosh. Yes. I mean, I have Debbie Shear Speaks on Facebook as well as Debbie Shear Speaks on Instagram. Do you see a theme here? I see, see a theme. A theme mm-hmm. As well as debbieshearspeaks.com. <laughs> what other platforms pretty, pretty, should I be Pretty on? simple. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know all the platforms. I mean, LinkedIn. Yes, and I don't know what that is, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> I if you pull just it, search your name. Debbie Shear speaks, something will come up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And you can text me or call me. I'm very I'm very accessible. I will put all of your contact information yeah. in the show notes. And listen, this has been so fun. I we love went it. all over the place. We did. I, I didn't expect us to cover such a wide variety of topics. I love that. But that's what I love about you. And I appreciate you bringing your energy and sharing your story and also being vulnerable in the craft that you're, that you're, you're working in because you're helping other women be comfortable being Aww. vulnerable and being humorous um, to do that as the lube. And I just like the word lube, but, it's um, it's a good word. Yes. But thank you for doing that because that, that's really powerful work Aww. that you're doing, Debbie. And I have been there. I've seen you do it live. I appreciate it so much. There's so much value in it and deep bow to you, you. sister. Deep oh, bow. thank you. I love that. Thank you. And I can't wait. I've gotten a lot of material now for when I interview you. <laughs> So I'm we're very gonna, excited we're for gonna that. We're going to set it up. We're, we're going to set it up. I mean, we might do that before this. So if may, this might be post you interviewing I can't, me. I can't wait to do that. Oh, my gosh. I, I already have hilarious. 16 questions that this I'm going to ask hilarious. you. <laughs> well, you're amazing. Thank, Thank you so you. much for Thanks your Thanks for time. having me. I appreciate it. And for those of you that are listening, if you are listening on Apple, please make sure, and that's Apple Podcasts, of course, not like Apple, like an apple-like fruit. Give us a review, a like, a rating. And if you are on Himalaya, make sure that you follow us so you can be kept in the loop when all of our new shows come out. And now my friends go be fierce. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hi, my name is Les Conley. And as producer of this show, I enjoy listening right along with you. Don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow Grit and Grace so that we can keep you up to date on all the exciting shows coming your way. Please check the show notes for links to our guests and feel free to contact us for more information. Taver Lee is a social impact entrepreneur, and she can be found at taverlee.com. That's T-A-H-V-E-R-L-E-E.com. We know your time is extremely valuable, and we appreciate you spending it with us. Thank you.